just as the rain penetrates through the thatch of a leaking roof, so the passions penetrate an unbalanced mind. There are innumerable small Buddhist sects of all kind in China, in Japan, in Burma, and each one follows its own methods. But the most widespread among them are those whose sole practice is to make the mind quiet. They sit down for a few hours in the day and even at night and quiet their mind. This is for them the key to all realization. A quiet mind that knows how to keep quiet for hours together without roving. You must not believe, however, that it is a very easy thing to do. But they have no other object. They do not concentrate upon any thought. They do not try to understand better, to know more, nothing of the kind. For them, the only way is to have a quiet mind and sometimes they pass through years and years of effort before they arrive at this result. To silence the mind, to keep it absolutely still. For as it is said here in the Dhammapada, if the mind is unbalanced, then this constant movement of ideas following one another, sometimes without any order, ideas contradicting and opposing each other, ideas that speculate on things, all that jostles about in the head, makes hole in the roof as it were. So through these holes all undesirable movements enter into consciousness as water enters into a house with a leaky roof. However that may be, I believe it is a practice to be recommended to everyone, to keep a certain time every day for trying to make the mind quiet, even still. And it is an undeniable fact that the more mentally developed one is, the quicker one succeeds. And the more the mind is in a rudimentary state, the more difficult it is. Those who are at the bottom of the scale, who have never trained their minds, find it necessary to speak in order to think. It happens even that it is the sound of their voice which enables them to associate ideas. If they do not express them, they do not think. So from every point of view, and not only from a spiritual point of view, it is always very good to practice silence for a few moments, at least twice a day. But it must be a true silence, not merely abstention from talking. Just as the rain cannot penetrate a house well covered with thatch, so also the passions cannot penetrate a balanced mind. In the two worlds, in this world and in the other, one who does evil grieves he laments and suffers as he recalls his evil deeds. It is quite evident that when you act in an ugly and mean way, naturally you are unhappy. But to be unhappy because you are conscious of the ugliness of your actions seems to me to be already a very advanced stage. For one needs to be very conscious in order to be aware of the evil that one does. And to be conscious of the evil that one does is already a first step towards not doing it anymore. Generally, people are altogether blind to the ugliness of their own actions. 
they do wrong through ignorance through unconsciousness through smallness so that sort of doubling back on oneself which comes from unconsciousness and ignorance that obscure instinct of self preservation which makes one ready to sacrifice the whole world for the sake of one's own well-being and the smaller one is the more natural appears the sacrifice offered to one's smallness one must be very much higher on the scale to see that what one does is ugly one must already have at the core of oneself a kind of foreknowledge of what beauty generosity are to be able to suffer from the fact that one doesn't carry them within oneself i think the tamapada speaks here of those who already know what is beautiful and noble and who do evil willfully deliberately for them life becomes terribly painful indeed to do persistently what one knows should not be done is at the cost of all peace of all possible tranquility all the well-being that one can have he who lies is constantly uneasy in the fear that his lie may be discovered he who has acted wrongly is in a constant anxiety at the idea that perhaps he'll be punished he who tries to deceive has no peace lest it should be found out that he deceives in reality even for a purely egoistic reason to do good to be just honest is the best means to be quiet and peaceful to reduce one's anxiety to a minimum you carry with you around you in you the atmosphere created by your actions and if what you do is beautiful good and harmonious the atmosphere is beautiful good and harmonious on the other hand if you live in a sordid selfishness self-interest ruthless bad will that is what you will breathe every moment of your life and that means misery constant uneasiness it means ugliness that despairs of its own ugliness and you must not believe that by leaving body you will free yourself of this atmosphere on the contrary the body is a kind of wheel of unconsciousness which diminishes the intensity of the suffering if you are without the protection of the body in the most material vital life the suffering becomes much more acute and you no longer have the opportunity to change what is to be changed to correct what is to be corrected to open yourself to a higher happier more luminous life and consciousness you must make haste to do your work here for it is here that you can truly do it expect nothing from death life is your salvation it is in life that you must transform yourself it is upon earth that you progress and it is upon earth that you realize it is in the body that you win the victory one who does good rejoices in the two worlds in this world and in the other he rejoices more and more as he recalls his good deeds one who does evil suffers in the two worlds in this world and in the other i have done wrong this thought torments him and his torments increase still more as he follows the way which leads to the infernal world one who does good rejoices in the two worlds in this world and in the other he rejoices more and more as he recalls his good deeds 
One who does evil suffers in the two worlds, in this world and in the other. I have done wrong. This thought torments him and his torments increase still more as he follows the way which leads to the infernal world. One who does good rejoices in the two worlds, in this world and in the other. I have done good. The thought rejoices him and his happiness increases more and more as he follows the way that leads to the celestial world. It would almost seem from these texts that Buddhism accepts the idea of a hell and a heaven. But that is quite a superficial way of understanding. For in a deeper sense, that was not the thought of the Buddha. The idea on which he always insisted is that you create, by your conduct and the state of your consciousness, the world in which you live. Everyone carries in himself the world in which he lives and in which he will continue to live even when he loses his body. Because, according to the Buddha's teachings, there is, so to say, no difference between life in the body and life outside the body. Some traditions teach that to leave the body is a blessing and that all difficulties disappear. Provided, however, you fulfill certain rites, as in some religions, and that is also why so much importance is given to the religious rites which are, as it were, a passport for going to a happier region once you have left the body. Some even imagine that as soon as you leave the body, you at once leave your miseries behind. But it is far from being true, and this is what the Dhammapada points out. What it calls the infernal world consists of psychological ranges, particular states of consciousness you enter when you do wrong. That is to say, when you stray away from all that is beautiful, pure, happy, and you live in ugliness and wickedness. Nothing is more disheartening than to live in an atmosphere of wickedness. What the Dhammapada says here in an almost puerile way is essentially true. Naturally, it does not refer to those who think, oh, how good I am, how nice I am, and therefore feel happy. That is childishness. But when you're good, when you're generous, noble, kind, you create in you, around you, a certain atmosphere, and this atmosphere is a sort of luminous release. You breathe, you blossom like a flower in the sun. There is no painful recoil on yourself, no revolt, no bitterness, no misery. Spontaneously, naturally, the atmosphere becomes luminous and the air you breathe is full of happiness. And this is the air that you breathe in your body and out of your body, in the waking state and in the state of sleep, in life and in the passage beyond life. Every wrong action produces on the consciousness the effect of a wind that withers, of a cold that freezes or of burning flames that consume. Every good and kind deed brings light, joy, restfulness, the sunshine in which flowers bloom. Even though he may recite a great number of sacred texts, if he does not act accordingly, the foolish one will be like the cowherd who counts the cows of others. He cannot share in the life of the disciples of the Blessed One. Though he may recite only a tiny portion of the sacred texts, if he puts into practice their teaching, having rejected all passion, all ill will and all delusion, he possesses the true wisdom. 
his mind completely free, no longer attached to anything, belonging neither to this world nor to any other. He shares in the life of the disciples of the Blessed One. The thing has been so often said and repeated that it seems quite unnecessary to insist on the fact that a mite of practice is infinitely more precious than mountains of talk. Surely all the energy that one spends in explaining a theory would be much better utilized in overcoming in oneself a weakness or a defect. Therefore, to confirm to the wisdom of this teaching, we shall consider the best means of rejecting all passion, ill will and delusion. The delusion consists in taking the appearance for the reality and transient things for the only thing worthy of pursuit, the everlasting truth. It is rather interesting to note that the Dhammapada clearly underlines that it is not enough to be free from the bonds of this world only, but of all the worlds. For the true and zealous Buddhists tell you that ordinary religions captivate you by enticing you with the glittery advantages that you will find after death in their paradise, if you practice their principles. Buddhism, on the other hand, has neither hell nor heaven. It does not terrify you with eternal punishment, nor does it tempt you with celestial felicities. It is in the pure truth that you will find your satisfaction and the reward of all your efforts.